So here we are, friends. I'm not sure my mic's on, but I think it'll be on in a second. Um, it's good to be with you today. Can you all hear me? Oh, it's working. Thank you. Good job, sound team. Um, how, how was this week for you? Are you guys okay? This week was nuts for me. Dan was on the mainland. See, I just asked you so I could tell you how I was feeling. That's not very emotionally healthy of me, is it? I'm like, how are you? Let me tell you how I'm doing. <laughs> I just felt on one of those weeks. Here we all are. Here I am. Here you are. It's good to be with you. I'm looking forward to our town hall meeting in a couple minutes. And today's message, I don't have three points for it. It's just a story we're going to be looking at in scripture. And sometimes it's a little dangerous when pastors don't have three notes, uh, because then it means that we could just talk for a really long time, or it could be really short. So depending on your prayers, we'll find out which one, which one comes to pass. <laughs> but um, it's good to be with you today, whether your week was a really good one, or whether it was kind of hard or somewhere in between. We are here now, and the Holy Spirit is with us, and the peace of God is here resting in us. We can receive this. So before we get into our text in the book of Acts, um, I just know there's a lot of things going on today. There, there's, it's Pentecost Sunday, so we're celebrating the birthday of the church. You should all have a little candle as you walked in, reminding you that today's a party. We don't have enough candles to symbolize all the years because it's over 2,000 of them. <laughs> but it take a lot of candles uh, to celebrate all the years. Um, you can bring this home and maybe when you have your dinner tonight, put it in your little you know, cup of rice or something, light it and just celebrate. And I'll come back to this a little bit later on in the message. It's Pentecost Sunday and it's also graduation Sunday. So celebrating your families, those of you who have um, supported kids all the way through high school, sometimes through college, those of you who've graduated with graduate degrees, it's a big day and we're really excited with you. Today is also um, a day of looking ahead to the future, right? We're going to have our town hall meeting um, in a few minutes, and we're going to be looking ahead to take some next steps together, what the next faithful step is. We'll be stepping into that today. So we'll be talking about different options and um, having some presentation from our Leaving Well and our Landing Well team, and that's going to be great. So it's a day of looking ahead to the future, all those things on this day. And it's in our prayer series. So we're going to be looking at a story about prayer. So all that's going on. And I know you bring your own self with your own questions, your own stories, the own things that you're celebrating and the things that you're also carrying with you this week. So I just want to acknowledge that and make space for that as we also see what God has for us in the story where there's kind of a little bit of everything in our story. Now, two weeks ago, um, as we began the series, I, I gave us some definitions on prayer. And I believe I have those up um, for us to be able to look at briefly and um, let me see. I think it'll be working now. There we go. So a couple of these definitions are as follows. I think we're going to be able to get it to work. Okay, prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. We talked a little bit about that. We also talked about how prayer is also more than a conversation. Maybe we could go to the next slide there. Prayer is more than a conversation. It's communion that involves knowing and being known. If you want to go to the next one. Prayer, and this is one we're going to be looking at today, prayer is also consenting to God's presence and action in our lives. And these aren't idealized lives. These are the lives we actually have. Consenting to God's presence and action in our real lives. And today's story of prayer is one where we see some of that at work. And it's a story that doesn't exactly pop up immediately into mind, at least when I think of prayer, the story from the early church. 
And just to give you some, some, um, some context for this story, uh, we know it's an early church story, which means that it comes after the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost was a day where they had been gathered, as they had been for many days in prayer, when the Holy Spirit came on them. And suddenly, in a new way, they were empowered. They were filled with God's own life and love. They could connect with people of different ethnicities and races and languages and genders in a way that they hadn't ever been able to before. It was this powerful day, the birthday of the church, where God's love, God's light, the fire of God's presence moved. In prayer in the early church, they experienced healing and freedom. It was in prayer in the early church that they were able to go through things like changes of leadership, and they were able to um, make steps to be able to share the good news more broadly. It was all within the context of prayer that they shared their resources and they gave to each other generously, all within this context of prayer. So the story we're looking at today, it really is birthed out of this, this movement, this, this shaping of prayer in their lives. Now, the thing with um, the early church is that they had many struggles they had to go through, and one of them was the struggle of persecution, because their new way of living and sharing about Jesus as Messiah, God's anointed one, who's inaugurating a whole new way of being, it just didn't go over well with basically everybody who wanted the status quo to stay the same. So they made enemies in, that were uh, in the religious movement. They made enemies politically and socially. And so they were under a lot of persecution. And so we don't exactly know in our context exactly how that feels like. But there's something else that the early churches characterized that very much we might be more familiar with. And that is that the early church was shaped by unprecedented, unanticipated, and unplanned for change. They had to navigate huge changes in them, in their own souls, as they grappled theologically with what does it mean to be a believer in Yahweh now that Jesus has come. They're doing all this deconstruction and reconstruction. They're grappling with who are we as a community, because suddenly their community went from being like sort of a homogenous group. They're all kind of like the same, maybe the same background, similar like ethnicity or cultural group, maybe close to the same age. And then suddenly it's opened up to thousands of people who look and talk and act very different from them. So they're navigating all this change in their community and in themselves. But then they're also navigating huge changes in their culture around them, socially and politically, as they're navigating wars and famine and all sorts of struggle that they had to deal with and adapt with. So maybe, even though this is in the first century, I think that there's a lot that we might be able to learn from this community dealing with such great change, because friends, we've been through a lot of change, and we are going through a lot of change at this point in our history, too. Right? We're going through change in us, right? As more of us that maybe grew up in the church are starting to like really think about what we've been taught and wonder, what do I want to take with me? What if this is really true and good and beautiful and of God and of the Holy Spirit? And what things do I want to leave behind? We're grappling internally. We might be grappling with change in our community. Uh, some of you have been here a long time. Others of you are newcomers. And we might be changing with, what does it look like when I come to church on Sunday? I don't always see my friends here, or there's new friends for me to know. 
Some are grappling with change in us. And then we're also grappling with huge change in the world around us as we sort of go through the, hopefully, the worst of the pandemic, as we move together in an increasingly partisan world um, with new social awareness as well as challenges for us to work through. We are going through immense change now. So it's within all this context of change that we can really relate to comes today's story in Acts 16. And it's a story that involves prayer, but also being led by God in prayer. And sometimes we don't always think of being led by God as prayerful. And if you think about it, if prayer has to do with like giving God consent to be present to and work with us, then being led by God is totally prayer, (laughs) right? Listening to God and trying to discern next steps to take, that is completely a prayerful act. It falls under the umbrella of prayer, even if we don't always think of it that way. So today's text is one of these stories. Prayer is happening, and it might be in a slightly different way than we think. So um, before we jump into Acts 16, I gave you the huge broad context of this post-Pentecost church and society, and now we're going to look at where we are right now in Acts 16. And Paul is on a missionary journey. Now, when I was in high school, maybe we could go to the next slide. I think there might be a chart there. When I was in high school, um, I went to a, a missionary school in the Philippines. And I remember I had to like get a white, a, like this big poster board and had to write down Paul's missionary journey on it. I think we had to do all three of them. We're like charting it out. We're using different colors. And when you look at a chart like this, or if you, you still have one of those Bibles that has all those color maps at the back, Right, you can flip to that, and it looks so well organized, like all these colors, these nicely labeled everything. It's like they had a five-year plan, and they knew exactly what they were going to do, except they didn't. When they were living it, they had no map, no plan. They were just there, moving with God, listening to each other, and taking each step one at a time. But from our perspective, it looks like, great, they know what they're doing. I think actually you and I were in that class together, but I don't think we were partners for that project because I would have remembered. And also the board would have been way more legible because Dan has much better handwriting than I do. So we went through one of these boards. So this is where we are. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Paul is not done with it yet. That nice little loop has not occurred yet. He is stuck currently. And that's where we get to today's text. So maybe we can go to the next slide. I'm going to go ahead and read from Acts 16, verses 6 and on. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Immediately after Paul had seen the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's also a lot of long words in that. Wow. I don't think I said them all right, but we'll just move on. So here we are, right? Paul has gotten to a place where they seem stuck. They want to enter this province of Asia. This is where the city of Ephesus is, and the city of Ephesus is a big deal. 
And we actually know that it becomes actually a big deal and a home base for Paul later on in his ministry, in his work, right? There winds up being a very influential church um, that's planted there. There winds up being this whole movement of God to help free the people in that city from all this idol worship and from ways of being with each other that are very harmful. So we know that Ephesus is a really special city. And from the perspective of history, we're like, you know, that winds up being a very important church. But for some reason on this visit, the Spirit would not let them go there. Got that? Would not let them preach the good news there. I was like, nope, there's a closed door. So then they decide to go to this other place. And let me see if I can remember the name of it. Oh, they decide to enter Bithynia. Yes, wherever that is, we'd have to go pull the map again. They decide to enter Bithynia, but this time the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. The Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. Now, I was once uh, hearing a sermon preached on this, and uh, the woman who was preaching said that she just can't picture what this looks like. And I don't think I can either. I mean, and when I'm reading through different commentaries and texts, no one really has a firm picture of what the spirit of Jesus, who said no, looked like. Like, we don't know if it's just like the ghost of Jesus, like, don't go there. We have no idea. But we just know that somehow, thank you, you can take that off the slide. We know that somehow there was a strong no, and they knew that the no was from Jesus. And what's interesting also is that the place where they were, you know, hoping to go, where the Spirit of Jesus says no, we know that that place was open and ready to receive the good news. Because I think 60 or 70 years later, historians tell us that there were so many Christians in that city that all of the pagan temples are just like abandoned. So the time was maybe not quite right. Who knows? Maybe there was a person he needed to meet that wasn't there yet. For whatever reason, the Spirit of Jesus says, don't go there. And then in the middle of the night, Paul gets this dream. He gets this vision. I can imagine they must have been discouraged by now because it's not all these closed doors because they're poor planning. It's actually God being like, nope, nope, nope. So here he is, middle of the night, gets this dream of a Macedonian man who pleads, come to Macedonia and help us. Now, this changes the course of Paul's travels and the history of our faith, because this is the first time that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, crosses over from what is considered Asia into Europe. So historically, this is a really big deal, even though Paul doesn't know what's happening there. But what is interesting to me about this, it's not just the historical significance of this. Wow, the good news goes to a new new place. It's the dream itself. In the Greek, it says that a Macedonian man appeared to Paul. Now, in the Greek language, it's unnecessary to have those two words because Greek is a gendered language. So it could just say Macedonian, and within the word, you'd know whether it was male person or female. For example, I think Spanish is this way as well. I was once hearing um, Dr. Houston Gonzalez, who was preaching on this, and he said in the Spanish language, you don't need to say whether it's Macedonian man because it's just gendered. You say Macedonio, and that means Macedonian man. Or if it's a woman, you'd say una Macedonia. It's right there in the word. So right here, somehow though, in the Greek language, they specifically said Macedonian man. So the only reason why you would have those two things put on there is because you're really trying to emphasize their gender. This is a male person from Macedonia standing before Paul saying, please come help us. Do you kind of have that picture in your mind? Okay, so that's where we are. So on this basis of the vision of the Macedonian male, Paul and his friends, they cross over to Europe and they make their way over to Philippi in the region of Macedonia. That's where they are, they're Macedonia. And when the Sabbath comes, we can imagine that Paul and his friends do what they do every single Sabbath when they're in a new city. 
and that's that they go to the synagogue. It's within the synagogue, they meet people who, you know, are interested in Yahweh, that have been serving Yahweh, and then they share with them the good news about Jesus. This is what they've been doing all over in the book of Acts. They go to a synagogue, they share about Jesus, and then they work with the city from there. Except this time, um, there's no synagogue here. There's no synagogue. Now, a synagogue requires the presence of at least 10 men, 10 religious men. There aren't 10 religious men. So Paul and his friends, instead, they go to the river. They go out of sight of town, a river where people would sometimes gather for prayer. And they do find some people there. But they aren't men. No, you know who Paul and his friends find? They find a group of women praying. Now think about this. Paul and his friends have come across the sea to Macedonian on the basis of a vision of a Macedonian uh, Macedonian? Yes. Okay. And then here they go, and they go to synagogue, and there's not even one man to, to form this synagogue. There's no synagogue at all. Uh, there's no men. Instead, they go to a place of prayer, and instead of Macedonian men being there, there's a bunch of women. Now, I can just imagine, oh, and one of the women, the only woman that's named there, she's from Thyatira, which is right next to where Paul was when he had this vision of the Macedonian man. I can just imagine him going and be like, where's the Macedonian man? Here's a whole bunch of women, and one of them is from the town right next door to where I was. What is going on? Hmm? Can you imagine that? Well, at some point in time, Paul's training and calling might have kicked in because he winds up sharing the good news with them. He shares the good news of Jesus to not a Macedonian man, but to this group of women by the river. And one of them is Lydia of Thyatira, the one who is from right next door, right? Lydia is a very successful businesswoman. She sells purple dye products, which is like couture of its time. Only very influential, wealthy, or royalty would be able to afford this. So she's a very successful businesswoman. She's a worshiper of God. She's not called a Jew or a daughter of Abraham, so she is a Gentile who is uh, seeking God. And we know that she's also a very influential woman and a woman who's very persuasive. She has a whole household that she runs. And she moves to embrace Jesus in this moment by the river. And then she and her entire household follow her lead and are baptized. Then she prevails upon Paul. This word in the Greek is very strong. She persuades him to stay with her in her household. Now, Paul is kind of an independent guy. He's a tent maker. He doesn't like to owe people things when he travels. But he's persuaded. And they go to Lydia's home. And there, the church that started in her home becomes the best and most supportive church out of any of the ones Paul ever started. We know from history that Philippi wasn't just any old church. It was the community that sustained his soul, that sent him visitors when he was in prison, that gave him resources to be cared for when he was sick. The church in Philippi was his crowning jewel. And out of all the letters that we have in the New Testament, letters that Paul wrote to different churches, um, the one that he wrote to the church in Philippi is one of the most joyous and encouraging out of all of them. It's the one church he doesn't have huge issues with. He doesn't have to, you know, make uh, very large complaining statements about uh, or dire warnings. 
And this all came about because prayerfully, Paul and their friends decided to follow the vision of the Macedonian man, who led them not to a man from Macedonia, but to a woman named Lydia from Thyatira, and to the church that began in her house, one of the healthiest and most joyful out of all Paul's churches. What a surprise. Sometimes, friends, in prayer, the next faithful step revealed to take with God doesn't bring us where we think it will. Sometimes taking the next faithful step with God can even feel like maybe you're going in a circle or like you're going backwards. Like maybe Paul felt when he went to the river and there was a woman there who had been right from the place where he was at. Like why was he even going here if he wasn't going to meet people from new places? Graduates, some of you are coming to the end of your studies and maybe you're not sure what you're going to do next. Maybe you're looking for some kind of great vision that will tell you, this is my plan for you and the rest of your life. Or maybe you have plans for what you're going to do, or maybe your parents have plans for you. You know what you're going to do. You have um, this great picture of clear steps forward. Our story today might be telling you that these clear steps forward can surprise you when you make them with God, with prayerful consent for God to be at work. Your Macedonian man might be a woman from Thyatira, and that's not a bad thing. We're going to be meeting after service today to talk about um, our next faithful step here for Wellspring. The vision for this step doesn't tell us exactly what will come about five or ten steps forward in the future. It doesn't tell the whole rest of the story for the lifetime of Wellspring's community. But I think it's plain enough for one step, the next faithful step. Because sometimes, friends, the vision forward only shows us the next thing we need to do in order to be faithful, in order to be obedient, and in order to step into God's good ways, God's blessing for us. Sometimes God only communicates what we need to know in order to move us in the right direction. Now, if we could go back to our story for today just for a second, I can just imagine that if God had given Paul a picture, like this dream, this vision, and it had been completely clear, Let's say instead of a man from Macedonia, it was a woman from Macedonia. Can you imagine Paul, who grew up in a very misogynistic culture? Uh, he was quite radical for his day. You know, he worked alongside women. But I think it would have been a little more complex if Paul had had a dream of a Macedonian woman who said, come to Macedonia and help us. Paul might have been like, ah, I don't know about that. Maybe I ate something funny for dinner. Or if he'd had a vision of Lydia. If Lydia from Thyatira says, come to Macedonia and help us, he might think, well, you're from Thyatira. Maybe I could just go there and said it's just a short walk away instead of this huge, long journey. Like the next step might not have been quite so clear unless it happened the way it did. Unless God showed him a Macedonian man and then surprised him with Lydia later on. Kind of like God reverse catfishing you, <laughs> like giving you just what you need to know to make the step, and then you're surprised, but it's a good surprise. Lydia's a good surprise. <laughs> right? Paul could have had reason to doubt his vision if it were any clearer or more accurate. But instead, God gave him what he needed to do to take the next faithful step forward. And sometimes in prayer, this is what happens with us. We have just enough, just enough to take the next faithful step forward. Last year, when we um, went to camp together up at Camp uh, Palihua, it was really beautiful. And also when the sun set at night, very dark. And I remember I was in, um, I think I was in 
uh, Joyce and Alan's kitchen. We were working on making some pancakes or stuff. And it was at nighttime. And as I left to go back down to where Dan and I's um, cabin was, um, it was really dark. And so I used my phone. And my phone only showed like enough light for me to kind of make it down the hill. Like I couldn't see the entire hill. It wasn't like a floodlight, but I could see where my foot would go so I wouldn't fall. And sometimes following God and God's vision for us for the next step is like that. God doesn't give us a whole floodlight to show us everything at once. But sometimes it's just a little light. Just like this little birthday candle. Just enough to let us see that next faithful step. The step that will lead us to good connection, to friendship, to belonging, to God's good news being shared. The next step that will lead us to something better than we could plan or imagine. Friends, wherever you are on your faith journey or in your business or your career, your education, maybe your family or your retirement, wherever you are in that, in this time of great change, maybe you're trying to figure out where you want to be five steps down the road. Well, what do I want to do with the rest of my retirement? Or what do I do when this, this degree ends, when I go into my next one? Or I feel kind of stuck in my career. I, where, where would I like to be five years from now? Those questions are great to ask. Please, ask them. There's nothing wrong with that. But perhaps all you need to know right now is just one faithful step in walking with God. Maybe deep inside you, you even have an inkling of what that one little step might be. Because God knows what it takes to move us forward together and shows us sometimes not the most complete picture or the most accurate picture, but the picture we need in order to move forward. Because the same God who gave Paul a vision, a dream to go to Macedonia and help, is the same God who calls you and I to meet the Lydias of our time so they can meet God and so we can meet God in the Lydias of our time. Today on this birthday of the church, I want to celebrate the foresight of God who moves us forward to the next faithful step. Today on this birthday of the church, I want to celebrate the love of God that brings the Lydias of the world, those we might not expect in, and makes them leaders and overseers of the church and servants to the community. Today, I want to celebrate the love of God that knows how to gently push those of us who've been insiders for a while to make connections with people we might not anticipate or envision as future partners. Today, I want to celebrate the love of God bringing us all together in ways that we can better care for and share and lead and give to our broader community and city, propelled by the heart and spirit of Jesus. Today, we can celebrate the goodness of God to co-create with those who give God consent, Today, we can celebrate the wisdom of God to create a good future better than the best of our plans, more meaningful than the most clear of our dreams. Friends, as we move forward in prayer together, are we open to these twists and turns with God? Are we open to the spirit of Jesus, who sometimes gives us just one step at a time? Let's pray. Good and loving God, who brings people together in connection and community and healing and freedom. Thank you for giving us what we need together to keep going, 
Whether it's in our career or in our family, whether it's questions we have about our life or maybe even our church family. Thank you for not leaving us to closed doors and to no's, but you also bring us to the yes. You bring us to the Macedonian men who sometimes might turn out to be women from Thyatira. Thank you for your provision, for your wisdom, for your love, and your good surprises. Help us to be open to you on this Pentecost Sunday, where you lead, even if we can't see very far ahead. We ask all our prayers, those spoken and those unspoken, in the name of the three and one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.